Welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And this is the show where we take a look at graphic novels and trade paperback collections dealing with female protagonists. And we have a very hefty piece of work for this one. A uh, little peek behind the curtain. The original intention was to have this for last month's, but um, it is so long and so dense, there was no way we were both going to get through it and be ready by then. And the book is The Ghost in the Shell. So, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to know where to start with this one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I had never seen or read anything about Ghost in the Shell. Like, I knew the new movie was coming out with Scarlett Johansson. So this was my first um, take into this world. There's a lot going on. There is. As far as background goes, um, I the the anime film, the 1995 anime film, was one of the things that made me really come to appreciate anime as an art form. And for a very long time, it stood as my favorite anime film, and it's still probably in my top three. Um, so I love that. I really like its sequel. I like the standalone complex TV series that was done. So I've enjoyed many of the adaptations of this, um, but I hadn't actually read the manga before. Um, and I haven't seen the new movie. I had made the decision that I wasn't going to even before the reviews came out. If you, I'll try and spare any of that ranting. If you care about why I didn't see it, there are numerous videos up on the Council of Geeks YouTube channel with me rambling about <laughs> this movie and all the stuff going on with it. Um, I think, I, if you don't mind, Liz, I, I think it makes more sense for you to kind of kick things off for two reasons. One is, I, my default is to think of the movie and I need to try and not reference it nonstop, start to finish. And also, you did something that if I was a smarter person, I would have done. Uh, and that was take notes. All right. <laughs> so, um, basic premise is there is this organization called Section 9, I believe, and they are sort of, oh, how would you describe them? They're sort of this, like... They're kind of, um... They're, they're a security for... It is set in Japan. Um, yes. and, and And it's a future setting. It's a cyberpunk setting, so... 2029. There, thank you. See, mm -hmm. again, she took notes. Um... So it, it is a cyberpunk setting. So you know there uh, there is uh, various degrees of uh, cyber um, augmentation on humans. Uh, whether it's something as simple as just uh, uh, you know network connections um, into the brain, or if it's a complete uh, cybernetic body, which is what the main character Motoko Kusanagi has. Um, but they their exact role. I'm not entirely sure, but they, they are some degree of security force, and they seem to work, they work for the state, but exactly what their purview is, I'm not entirely sure I could tell you. They seem to focus on cyber-related incidents, but they also get embroiled in a lot of the politics in terms of international treaties and all these other sort of things going on. But they are they do seem to be strictly domestic. They're only operating in Japan, but they're they've got their fingers in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're and they can kind of 
get away with almost anything. I mean, they they do assassinations, they do reconnaissance, they do their they are they are all things, and usually, ultimately, it ends up with somebody getting shot. Yeah, there's lots of action in this book. There's lots of philosophy. There's lots of cyber and technical jargon that went way, way over my head most of the time. Though sometimes it was interesting. I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's interesting when you can follow it. Yeah, which happened maybe a quarter of the time. I I would call that a respectable ratio <laughs> with this book. And and realize I went in I, I basically went in with a cheat sheet because I I knew the movie and I knew a bunch of the other stuff, but I was still my there were times my eyes were just bugging out of my head going, wait, what? What did they just say? The 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 layers of not only technical jargon in terms of the technology and the weaponry and all this other stuff, but of all these organizations and countries oh and these treaties and these people in government with these positions that you're meant to keep track of, and this person has an agreement with this person, but they're seeking asylum from here, but that means they'll they'll yes. go against this, and it's like, oh my god, it's so convoluted. And any one of these things could maybe be followed, but you're dealing with that plus the tech jargon plus the philosophical implications, and it, it all—it's kind of a three-way pileup of stuff. And then in the end, there's a lot of religious like philosophy in it too, and like, oh, it's ah, it's so much. Um, also, like, I really i finally figured out some of the other people she works with at the end and i was really proud of myself like i know like three more names like batu and tagusa and that's about it but i was kind of jealous of you having seen the show and the movie because i was like well at least you can follow it and that probably takes a lot of the action which was sometimes good and fun and everything and i like that i like that part overall in it um and you could actually probably understand it, and they had reoccurring characters, and... I, I would say that the best cheat that, that I got was that I knew all these characters already. Oh. I, I knew I knew Bato, and I knew Togusa, and Aramaki, who's the head of the... Aramaki, I couldn't remember his The name. organization, and there's... I, I even, because they got featured in the TV show, I even know the side characters, like uh, Saito, and Boma, and Paz, and, and, all, and all these other guys. <laughs> That the thing is, if you don't know that they're characters, some of these names you could be forgiven for mistaking that they're naming computer systems. <laughs> because sometimes you're not really sure if they are more like a computer thing or like a robot or they're a person. It's a little confusing sometimes because sometimes they have like robots that come along and help them with the mission and they do. And it's it's one of those things where uh, a visual medium like the animations kind of has an easy cheat because they can just do a modification on on a character's voice to make it more clear that God. that this is a robot versus a real person. But of course, if you're just reading it on the page, um, and because manga um, never really went in for the uh, at least at this time and this and this was this I got we should do some credits here on uh, 1991 Shiro Masamune who I believe was both the artist and the writer on it mm -hmm. um, but uh, at this time um, the the Japanese uh, comics and manga weren't going in for the American style of lettering because in 
American comics, the, a letterer would have used a deliberately different font for something like a robot or or something like There's that. Sometimes the speech bubbles are a little different and like the font is like slightly blockier for the the more not it's not always I think robots but it's systems or robots it's I think they do I think they might do a slightly different for the fuchicomas which is which are the intelligent tanks that oh, they right. that they ride in so many things. <laughs> yes, there is there is a lot of stuff going on. But th there are uh, sort of the point we were getting to is there aren't a lot of easy markers. There aren't a lot of cheats in this to give you an easy shorthand. You kind of have to just dive in and hope you don't drown. Um, as far as plot, um, it's it, this is this was um, I think released in. I don't know if it was in volumes or in issues, but each chapter kind of deals with a different case that Section 9 works on. And it really isn't until the end, maybe the last two or three chapters, where it kind of coalesces into a final conclusion and a more centralized theme for the last few chapters. But up until that point, it's largely just sort of going from mission to mission. And, you know, they're dealing with similar kinds of things and people you know, hacking people's brains or, you know, using human parts and machines to do this or that. And so there's, there's... For cyborgs, like, gone wild. Yeah, so there's <laughs> there's thematic connections, but there isn't really a through line of a plot. Um, no, it's hard to follow, especially when you get into the more political plots dealing with other countries. And those were the ones that really sent my head reeling. And things like that. And you're just like, what, what is going on? Who is fighting with who? Like, who is this person? Do I need to know? Probably not. They're probably going to be dead in three pages. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's See, a lot. And, and I don't know if this is the case, but I, I find myself now wondering if, if it would have been inherently easier for Japanese readers to notice, because I don't know if the names for the political s positions that they use are real ones. So, like, I don't know if a Japanese person would just automatically know what those is. In the same way that, you know, us reading a comic, if, if a character gets identified as, um, you know, Secretary of Defense or Secretary of State or whatever, we know what that is because mm -hmm. we know our political system. Um, so I'm wondering if that's just one of those things that becomes... I don't want to say lost in translation, but kind of a barrier to entry because it's something that that could be safely assumed about the readers in its native country mm -hmm. that becomes a hurdle for us us whiteies. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I might cut that. I, I don't know what that was. Um. So, yeah. Uh, the main plot, though, at the end, I did kind of like that. It was a little bit over my head. But the, what threw me was it talks about it in the back. And you're like, oh, okay, so this is the main plot. And and then there's like 250 pages or more where that has nothing to do with anything you're reading at all. So you're like, ah, okay, so here we go. Some of the missions are really interesting. Some of them seem repetitive. Some of them I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, 
I like the one with the sanitation workers in the beginning. I don't know why. I just like them as side characters. And that was the thing. Like sometimes I got attached to a few of the side characters that were on were in a particular case or something and I'm like, oh, I like these guys. I hope they stick around. And then they were gone nope. <laughs> for the next chapter. Not and a chance. It was kind of sad. Um, yeah. So, uh, obviously the, the plot is a bit of a... Um, any thoughts about the characters at all? I like Kusanagi. She's again a little over my head and understanding everything that's going on. So I like the main character okay. I liked Tagusa, I think. And I kind of liked Aramaki. Is that the I'm I'm fond of Aramaki because he's he's I mean he's just this he's just this little balding guy, but he's so good at playing the game and making sure that they basically get away with doing the stuff that they do. He's really good at his job. And he kind of acts like sometimes he doesn't care but about them, but he I think he really does. And especially in the last mm. bit of plot um, where he kind of essentially lets her get away. Um, I think... Yeah, I liked him. I also... <laughs> Side note, he, I was noticing when he was first introduced, I'm like, he looks like an ape a lot. Am I a horrible person to think this? But then later on, they call, like, their their nickname for him, like, is, is ape face. Ape, ape face. Yeah. Ape face. So it's like, oh, okay, he's supposed to look like that. <laughs> there are um, several characters, all male, because all the, we'll get into this later on. All the females are perfect looking and, like, have ridiculous proportions. But some, the males, some of them look like toads or apes or things like that. They're very jowly, lots of jowly little men in this. The political characters especially tend to oh, yes. tend to be very squat, wrinkly, and sweaty. Yep, that's <laughs> that's a very apt description of them. Um, as someone who, and, and I think the honest truth is, I think most people who are fans of this property are probably are like me. They're fans of one of the adaptations. Oh. Um, so one of the things that was odd to me was how much lightheartedness there is in in the characters. Um, because in pretty much everything except this, except this original source material, the characters are incredibly stoic. Especially... Oh, really? Especially Kusanagi uh, and also Bato are very... They're very stoic. They're very seriously minded. Um, so to have, and in, in the book, Bato's basically comedic relief. He gets beat up a lot for a yes, laugh. Yes, he does. Like, the, many a scene ends with basically him getting decked, and it's meant to be funny. And the major, like, it threw me so much the first time that it happened in the book, and it happens quite a few times, the first time that it happened in the book that Aramaki turns his back and, and, Major Kusanagi sticks her tongue out at him. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I love when the faces, when they're like, they get really angry and the faces get like all teeth and gnashing teeth and like ridiculousness or they like shrink them down to size and they're just kind of ridiculous and cartoony. Cause the artwork is, I do really like the artwork in this. Um, but when they're having, when they're emotionally distraught one way or another or being childish, then 
there's these funny little pictures of just like them looking ridiculous and just like big heads with gnashing teeth essentially is how they show it's, like yeah. they're having a tantrum. Well, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a manga and an and an anime trope and it but it's especially interesting to see in something like this where some of the art is so detailed oh my gosh, and yes. so I mean just I can't even imagine how long some of these panels took to draw these in, these insane amount of detail on these technical gadgets and this wiring and all this stuff. Oh my god, yes. And and so the you know the going the the simplified cartoony for moments of high emotion usually um, where characters are either really angry or really upset um, is is a common thing, but it, it somehow it it sticks out much more here because the 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 normal art for the book is so detailed mm -hmm. um like it, I, i'm looking at a panel right now it's page 138 that's these these bodies in these sort of tanks and there's all this wiring and the just the level of de it's almost it's almost like hr giger it is so insanely detailed and then to have that contrasted you know when they when they when they pull a face and you know the the big squiggly lines next to the eyes indicating they're like ah and it's it it just jumps out all the more which is kind of fun actually my favorite artwork in this was the underwater stuff where it, with the colors in terms of all it's towards the end yeah um where it's all these like blues and pinks mixed together and it's just like the shading and the lighting is just gorgeous in it. And I was like, oh, can't we stay in this world a little longer with this color and everything? But alas, we couldn't and we had to get back to plot. But I'm like, they can just swim around underwater for like, I don't know, a oh, chapter. Oh no, the plot! <laughs> Not the plot! <laughs> um, it, it is another thing worth noting and I didn't, well, you know, I don't do research, so I, I could have looked this up, but I didn't. Um, only a handful of pages across the volume have color, um, and mo the vast majority of it is in black and white. There's a little bit of color in, in the beginning. In the beginning. Um, yeah, but I don't know if it was originally published like that, or if in its original publication it was entirely black and white. Um, so I don't know if this was something done for the collected volumes or not. But um, when when color is used, it is... I mean, the artwork's really nice anyway, but when color is used, it is really... It's gorgeous. It's very painterly. It's... Mm -hmm. It's just some really stunning imagery. Yeah, this some of this, there's a sunset where I'm like, that could be in a museum. I would be okay with that. <laughs> so you mentioned about... The male characters versus the female characters. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. So my notes are just simply full of, oh, gratuitous butt shot. Oh, gratuitous boob shot. There's one where I was like, oh, I know I just wear a lace thong and nothing else on the bottom when I go to my, like, techno technological job, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, I, it's ridiculous. There's such a contrast. And again, I guess you could say that some of the Section 9 male characters are rather buff and somewhat good-looking, but there I don't think there's a single, like, well, there aren't as many females, first of all, in this book, but there's not a single, like, unattractive female no, in this book. No, not there at isn't. All. I, and it's one of those things that becomes an odd point because 
strictly narratively speaking, at, at least if you if you limit it to the major, if you limit it to Motoko, you know, she is it is an artificial body. Yes. And so if they're sense. if they're gonna design it, they're gonna design it what is believed to be perfect. But as you said, there is a much wider variety of male bodies, and even if we accept that every female character that we see is also in an artificial body, then we're dealing with the fact that every single female character has literally been sculpted to be beautiful, and that's still a bit of an issue. Even if, It's one of those things where you can justify it narratively, that doesn't actually mean it's okay. <laughs> No, no, it really wasn't. There's one scene, I think, where there's two younger girls. So, like, maybe early teens, preteens. And I'm like, they're not wearing pants. <laughs> I'm like, ah, uh, this is not good. Um, I realize they're female, but, and this is kind of his thing, but I'm like, they're girls. And no, just no. Um... And then there's, at the end, when the puppeteer's in that, like, body for a while, and it's just this dismembered sort of body, and it's like, oh, you know, you never see her legs or her arms, but there's always the Like, they're always there. The nipples are always there in every single picture. And I was like, that's, that's just great. It's a dismembered body, but we got the boobs. We got the important part. Yeah, that's, that is what's important. And and uh, <laughs> I I I uh, if you look over there, I have a little statuette of the of the puppeteer. Oh, I'll have to look closer later. Uh, is it? Oh, is it just her boobs, pretty much? It's, and her face. A little it's bit? It, it's got it's it's the head. It it's the torso up because that's basically all that exists of the character. But I. Yeah, I, I, I own that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if it if it if it if it, if it takes the curse if it takes the curse off it know that. at least slightly. Um it's also been chewed on by a dog, so I don't know what that makes it worse, maybe. Ah oh, crap. <laughs> um yeah, let me see some of my comments on like the um uh, I am glad the nurse outfit allows for a cutout so she has skin type material on her ample bosom. <laughs> There's that. Um, gratuitous robot body. Oh, underboob. There was underboob. Um, lots of underboob. Um, especially in that plot where the like, the robots went kind of um, mad and like started killing people randomly. Yeah. The the like I think they were essentially sex robots. Yeah. There's yeah. so much gratuity in that. Well actually oh god, I'm even looking at at that page that we were talking about before, you know, at the water and they've got her climbing out of the water. So many onto butt the, shots. Onto the, the boat. And I mean she's she is in a full wetsuit, yet they still boy the the positioning of her body relative to you know, you know the camera, for lack of a better term, that's, uh, oh yeah, okay. I think the most we ever see of a male being non-clothed is a little chest hair on someone she's dating in one of the chapters. I was like, oh, we got a little bit of open rope, but that's it for the males, and there's so much nakedness and skin-tight material for the women. There is, and unfortunately that 
kind of puts a damper on something that I, I otherwise would be praising more, which is that there is a point that it's implied that um, the major has a, an intimate relationship with a woman. And normally I would be all for that because it, it's, it's not a big deal made out of it. It's just kind of there. It's just a dialogue scene that she has with this woman that she obviously spent the night with before she goes to work. And normally I'd be like, that's nice. And they don't bring a ton of attention to it, except that I can't help but shake the feeling they just, that this writer really just wanted to draw these two characters, <laughs> these two women More together. And scantily clad ladies. Yeah, it's, 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 it's double your cheesecake. And, <sighs> and, and it's a shame because as a, as a character feature, and especially given how little attention is drawn to it, I like that. But when I think about the reason why it's probably there, it's like, oh. Yeah, oh, wasn't really rats. empowering. <laughs> no. No. Um, <clears throat> oh, and at one point, I think a character told another, treat that thing like it was your girlfriend. <laughs> because that's what everyone wants. Yeah. And you want to be treated like that thing, which in this case was like a drill. So, like, I know I always want to be treated like a like an inanimate object. Oh, boy. I, I did keep in mind, though, that this was, you know, the early 90s, and we were just coming out of the 80s where at least I know American cinema better, but it was not, not really a great time. No, no, it wasn't the most um, progressive, forward-thinking I mean, no. there were some great roles out there, but there was, if you look at some of the, like, more modern or mainstream stuff, there's a lot of... The the 80s and 90s, there was Aliens, there was Terminator 2, that was about it. So basically, thank you, James Cameron, for, for giving us some legitimately... For action movies, at least, yeah. Strong, strong-willed women in these sci-fi settings, but... Yeah, sci-fi action, which this ultimately I think you would classify it as, mm -hmm. still very much a boys club at the time. So if, if we put it in context, it it is pretty forward thinking of it that the main character is a woman, that that is never questioned, mm -hmm. her, her ability to do her job on any level, be it a physical level, a mental level, and anything, is never brought into question because she's a woman and I think that especially for 1991 is is a is just nice unfortunately there's a whole lot of other baggage involved and a whole lot of other stuff that it dives headfirst into that would have been nice that that thankfully many of the adaptations have either dulled down or dropped as more time has gone on yeah, I don't think there's really another female character in the in this book that like isn't sexually objectified or isn't essentially there as sort of a sexual I, object. Eye candy. As eye candy. So it's <coughs> it's it it that was my one of my major issues with this, other than being like, what the hell is going on for most of yeah. most of the chapters. It it does become a problem because I think sometimes. And I don't know. I don't. 
I'm gonna say this, but I'm, before I do, I'm gonna preface it saying, I don't think this is a conscious decision, but I think it's human nature and it kind of happens. I think there's an inclination sometimes when a creator goes out of their way to break the mold in one area that they feel like, well, I did my bit, I can just do all the stereotypical stuff elsewhere. So like, you know, um, Shiro Masamune obviously made the decision, I'm gonna have this female lead and she's gonna kick a whole lot of ass and she's gonna be smart, she's gonna be self-sufficient. And I have I have hit my female empowerment quota. I, <laughs> I, I get a free pass for the rest of this. And again, I'm sure it's not a conscious decision, but I do, I do think it happens. I think just human nature, you get that little, I did a good thing. And then you, you stop worrying about that thing. And then you fall into whatever your normal bad habits might be. Yeah. Or you don't really think about intersectionality or, or that. Like that. Or yeah. 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 There's a lot of, there's a lot of books out there like that in one way or another. It's not just limited to the sci-fi genre. No, and it's certainly not even limited to comic books. Although I think it, I think it does happen, especially depending on the era. It happens in comic books and graphic novels a lot. I know um, on my other podcast on '90s comics retrial, dealing with female characters, it really does seem like a lot of the times they just went, "Oh, we we it's it's a female lead. Are we gonna you know do anything different with her? Oh no, no, same stuff we've always done, but she's the lead." So that that's enough, right? Like, uh, no, no, that <laughs> that that leads to a whole different way of thinking and issues that they should face, and because they are female, and it's often not thought out. And I think that often happens with race too in comic books. I yeah, I would say it probably does. And I don't want to say. Fortunately, unfortunately, but that's that's something that I think both of us are less qualified to. Yes, that is very true. to talk about. <laughs> um, I mean, if it comes up organically, that's one thing. That might not be something we go out of our way to tackle because, you know, just our our perspective is the def the default perspective that already exists in these entertainment industries. <laughs> Does anybody really need to hear from us on that? No, no probably not. So. Ghost in the Shell, I gotta say it, I'm not sorry that I read it, but it it did feel like homework. It did. It. I kind of slogged through. Like, there are certain chapters where I got into it, and I have to say, towards the end of it, it picked up the pace a little bit, and I got into the final plot and things like that, but... It was a, it was dense. It was a lot. And if you started thinking about what they were talking about on a philosophical level or like tried to figure out the the cyber jargon, then you were really you were gonna be thinking and like lost for a long time. <laughs> so. The eyes just kinda glaze over. Yes, definitely one of those. Yeah. So I, as somebody who already was a fan of this I think the only people I can recommend this to is anyone who already knows they like Ghost in the Shell as a property and just wants a more complete experience of it. If you haven't seen any of if you haven't seen any of the movie versions or the TV shows or anything, but you, you like the concepts of Ghost in the Shell interest you, I would not recommend starting here. 
I absolutely would not because you're gonna your head's gonna explode and you're gonna be turned off to it. So I can't really recommend it as a starting place for this franchise and this property. <laughs> and yet, that's where I started. And yet, I, and boy, I really did not know what I was getting us into when I decided we were going to do this. No, it's okay. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. And I did like some of the cyborg stuff because I had recently read a series, a sci-fi dystopian fairy tale series that was based around a cyborg. So, like, I could kind of connect those two. But... Um, that was a shout out to the Lunar Chronicles, um, but it was a lot to get through and a lot, a lot of stuff going on and a lot to understand and a lot of characters to keep track of and political intrigue and just everything. So yeah, and with and one last thing on the political stuff, it was it was also often hard to know whenever they went into the political ins and outs, like. My brain would eventually go, wait, does this even matter? Does it matter if I know how this person connects to this country and this guy in political power? Or is this just the justification for why they're about to blow up that building? Because if that's all they're going to do, I can skip ahead to when they blow up that building. Yes. Um, I would like to see some of the anime of it. I would like to see maybe the movie or the TV show, depending on what you would recommend. I, I, I can definitely make some recommendations. I would probably recommend either the first movie from 95, uh -huh. um, subtitled because the dub sucks. Um, it often, some, it does. Well, actually, they're, they're, Not always, they're pretty consistent now, but 90s anime oh, dubbing, yeah. those suck. Uh, either that or standalone complex, uh, which was the the first time it was turned into a TV series. Um, that one actually has a has a good dub, so that one you can watch without subtitles. But um, one, either one of those, I would recommend either to you or to anybody listening who wants to try and get in on this property. Uh, start on one of those two. Don't. Yeah. Not and, not this. And even though neither one of us have seen the movie, it doesn't sound like that's the best the new movie it doesn't, no i like that's the best place to start either i'm gonna boil down what what is probably 40 minutes worth of me <laughs> ranting across four or five videos on on the council of geeks youtube channel yes i plugged it twice you can sue me <laughs> but i'll boil it down to ultimately the reason i decided to not see it was a suspicion that i had and the reviews that i read bore this out which was that they stripped out pretty much all of the really heady philosophical concepts and opted instead to basically make a RoboCop Jason Bourne riff. Oh my God. And wh what what they appear to have done, and again, I'm based, haven't seen it, but having read multiple reviews and to because I really wanted to get as firm a sense of this thing as I could, they the live action movie. Adopt, adapted very well, apparently, the visual the visual aesthetic look and feel of the 1995 uh, anime film and its sequel, but completely dumbed down the story, took out most of the heady philosophical concepts, and just made it a, they, they took your past from you, now you have to fight against the organization that made you standard generic template thing and i suspected that uh earlier this year with some of the 
trailers that came out. And once I was pretty sure that was what they did, I was like, I'm not gonna go see this. And then the reviews came out and I went, yep, that's exactly what they did. So without even getting into the whole mess of other issues people had with that movie, which is a whole other thing, I, I skipped out on it for that reason alone. And again, if the concepts and the big ideas interest you, I would probably say skip that because it, everything I read indicates it doesn't deal in the big concepts. And that being said, like, I know I complained about the plot and all the headiness. I want some substance. So, like, I would miss if it had none of that. Because I did get intrigued by some of it and lost in thought for a while. But if that was all gone, I would be like, oh, well, it's just a lot of gratuitous butt shots <laughs> and things she, blowing she, up. She's just in a suit that, that looks like she's naked. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you a lot right there. You just can say that and then know that that's kind of, in terms of clothing for women, that's kind of the theme throughout. <laughs> you, you, you will find yourself, uh, as honestly was the case with the anime at times, you will find yourself often going, wait, is she naked? Is she? I don't, wait, I, huh? <laughs> that happens in this too. Yes. <laughs> But I guess I guess we'll wrap it up on on this one. I can't say either of us are are actively recommending it. And this thi this is three hundred. Maybe flip through it to the color pages there, and like look at the pretty artwork. There is some gorgeous art. There are three hundred and forty eight pages in this thing. I'm not sure what we're gonna do next month, but it'll be shorter than this. Heck, I'm pretty sure War and Peace was shorter than this. <laughs> oh, ouch. Um. <laughs> So, thanks so much for tuning in. Boy, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure we're, we'll go with something that uh, that Liz picks next time, and it'll be short and sweet and and fun and like for like fourth graders, hopefully. <laughs> I, you, you know what? After, this was not for no <laughs> on so many levels. Af after having my head intermittently blown expanded and just shut down in protest i'm ready for something aimed at a fourth grade level uh-huh uh yes and i think it i think we'll take a nap after this <laughs> well-deserved nap i i yes i think it is more than earned so thanks so much for joining us guys um Please, uh, you know, share this podcast around if you enjoyed it. Um, drop us an iTunes review. It helps boost the visibility of the show. And uh, until next month, bye. Bye. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. Feedback can be left at the Facebook page and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The logo and cover art are drawn by Nick Buxom. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!